we are um, finishing the series called Define. We've looked at different words that are really get thrown around Christian circles a lot, and we just want to kind of unpack them a little bit and wrestle with what they mean together. So today's word is going to be worship. So before we, before we go, I want to just tell you a quick story. Um, this happened years and years ago. I was 18. I just graduated from high school. The day after I graduated, I got in a plane, and I flew to Hawaii. This was before hurricanes and stuff there, and a um, long time ago. So we were in, I was in Hawaii going to a kind of a Christian school. I wanted to get my, my walk with Christ kind of established before I went to the University of Minnesota. And there was a lot of people in there who were going to become missionaries. I didn't think about becoming a missionary or a pastor at that time. I just thought about, just want to have... A, a solid walk before I go to the University of Minnesota because I, I knew it was going to be a stretch there, right? It was going to be challenging at that environment. So I went there, and the school was kind of in this big, huge house on the island of Hawaii, the big island. And, um, and it was a great place to suffer for Jesus, if you're wondering. And um, so we're in this, but but it's not a wealthy thing. It's just that, you know, it's so... Everybody had work to do. We weren't students and eating in five-star restaurants. We were, we were students who were cleaning the hallways and cleaning the grounds and doing all the work. And one of the jobs was to take the garbage to the dump. They were too cheap to hire a garbage service. They just had this old, bad truck. And so we would take these bags of garbage from the week. We'd put them in the truck, and then we'd go to the place where you get rid of the garbage, right? So I was on that detail. And um, you know Hawaii's a little warmer than here, like year-round, and very moist, and wet garbage from the kitchen. Just put all those things together in your mind, right? And the house wasn't air-conditioned. So we took the garbage, threw it in the back of this old wooden icky truck, and we're going to the place to dump it out. And, and when we get there, we have to take the garbage out. And so I'm standing there, and I lean down, and I pick up the garbage bag, and the bottom falls out of it. It was so gross, right? And, and I'm looking, and I'm starting to complain about it, right? And I'm with another guy, and I look down, and the garbage starts to move, right? So it's like full of white maggots. And, and, and the aroma of this thing is going up into my face, okay? Now, I tell you that because I want you to understand something. At that moment, if you said, hey, Doug, let's praise God together. <laughs> hey, Doug, want to sing a worship song? The answer would be no. No, and I think we all have times like that in our life where we're going, this is a time and a place. I don't feel like worshiping. I'm not in the mood to pray. I might want to use his name, but it's not going to be that way. You know? And that's kind of where you're, you are. It was so bad. I threw up in my mouth because it, just for the relief of the smell, you know, of the, of the aroma. That kind of thing. So, so take that story because we're going to come back to it and put it in your back pocket for now. And I'm going to have you do something else we're going to put in your back pocket as well. For a moment, I, as we talk about worship, I want you to imagine yourself in a time and a place where you were worshiping. Right? So this might be memory for you. It might be you imagine where you can worship well, whatever you want to do. I want you to think of time and place where you were worshiping. Right? So I want you to think about where that was. What you were doing, how you were doing, how you were worshiping. Get, that, get a visual of that in, in your mind. Okay, you got that? Okay, now you get to put that in your other back pocket. Okay, because we're going to come back to that as well. Now I've got to give you a warning. I sent this out to all of you in email, but um, this message... First of all, I'll give you this warning. We're going to end with the hardest to do that I think I've ever taught in this church. The very hardest thing I can tell you to do, I'm going to tell you, if you want to leave now and avoid it, go ahead, but just quietly, all right? But let me give you the other warning. 
the questions I'm about to raise in this message may appear to be sacrilegious and offensive, but they're necessary. And I'll tell you the truth, they're going to sound a little raw, a little rough, but they're authentic and they're real. See, when I started asking questions about worship or going to church, and I grew up in a Christian home going to church, I found worship to be the most confusing thing. Right? Because, and even today, if I was a kid, I'd be thinking, okay, so let me get this straight. We all come into a church. We sing these songs together. We stand there. Some of us are going, ah, and some of us are going, and some of us are moving our lips, and some of us aren't. And then we go, we worshiped, and then we sit down. And, and what does that do exactly? And what's the point of that? Can we go back to our own lives afterwards? We live the way we used to live, the way we just keep going, doing what we want to do, and the, it was confusing. And so I had lots of worship questions. Um, and I was very cynical about the whole thing. There was a time when I called church playing church, right? You come and you, you play church for an hour, and then you go back to your regular life. You just go play church, and then you go back to your regular life. So I looked up worship, just so we know, and, and the dictionary says this, to show reverence and adoration for a deity or to something that represents a deity. Okay, a deity is a little god, right? It could be the god, but it's also, it's any god. This is the secular definition, right? It's meant for the whole world. It's anthropological in in that kind of sense. So historically, humans have always been worshiping. We've worshiped God, like we hope to do here. We've we've worshiped demons. We've worshiped small gods, like, you know, think Roman, Greek, all the gods they have, and and pluralistic gods, right? We've worshiped carvings and statues and idols, and we don't relate to that very much because we go, really, we worship things we made? That's kind of weird. And And it is, but... But they believe God was in those things, and places in the world still do that. We've worshipped animals, the sun, the moon, the stars. We apparently like things with light attached to them, right? So we worship those things. Um, We've worshipped kings and emperors, mostly because they stand up and they go, I'm king, and guess what? I'm also God. You didn't know that. Worship me, right? And they force worship upon us. And someone last night after the service came up and said, you missed one. And I go, what? Pastors. And I'm going, go sit down. Be quiet now. We're not asking, okay? We've worshipped appetites, right? Possessions and stuff and positions for power and, and, and companies and, and sex. I mean, it's probably the most worshipped thing in our culture when you start to look at what people are actually doing and what they idolize and what they seek to be and, and, and do, right? I mean, have you ever heard the phrase, you know, that guy worships the ground that she walks on? Right? That's the way we use the word worship. It's complete adoration it's, and, and it's devotion and it's sacrifice to get that thing or to serve that, that thing. Right? And, and so we live, I mean, we as humans, we, we worship. Every culture worship is part of how we're made. We will fill in the worship hole in our lives. And, and, and even if you don't believe in God, it's what you're sacrificing for. It's what you're chasing. It's what you're pursuing is your act of worship. It's what you think is going to fill you up inside. So, so why worship? And now I'm back in the church world. Why, why worship? And I think the answer is kind of a Sunday school answer. It's because God calls us to worship him. Right? I mean, over and over and over in Scripture, there's this call to come and worship. I'm just going to show you one verse, right? Psalm 95, David wrote it. David wrote all these, all these worshipful psalms. And in this one, he just says it most clearly. Verse 6, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. And when, when 
it's in scripture like that. I know David wrote it, but we say that's the word of God as Christians. We think that's God calling to us. Come on. Come on, come on, worship me. Don't miss out on this. And, and David speaks it out loud for all of us. So one answer, the answer that you'll typically hear at church is God calls us to worship him. Now, when I first heard that answer, because it is the right answer, when I first heard that answer, I was in a place of cynicism. So my question was, why does God need our worship? I mean, the last I checked, and I'm not a theologian at that point, right? And we're all theologians, by the way. We all think something, so I was. I just didn't know it. The last I checked, almost every church I've ever been to, there's three things we all agree about God, and it's the omni things, right? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's conscious of everything everywhere all the time. He's, he's omnipresent, right? So he's, he is everywhere all the time. There's no place God isn't. And, and as our understanding of the cosmos has increased, our understanding and appreciation for how God is everywhere should also, it's like unbelievable, God is everywhere. You, you cannot get in a rocket ship and escape God. It won't work. He's not just this planet. He's everywhere. He's all present. And then he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He created everything we see without breaking a sweat. Just by thinking about it, he made things happen. Just by speaking it out loud, let there be, and then there is, right? And it's, he's omnipotent. He's incredibly, he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. And then you come back and you go, so why are we worshiping him? I mean, is God insecure? Right? That's the question. Are we worshiping God because he's insecure? Does God need us to feed his ego? These are the questions, by the way, that could rub you the wrong way, right? I get it. Is God really worried about what we think? He's omni-everything. What, what does he need from us? What does worship do for God? Did God create us to have his own little fan club? You know, hey, I got an idea. Let's put 10 billion minions on the world. Right? And, we, and that's who we are. And we're just God's minions. And we don't paint ourselves yellow, but we're, we're minions for God. Is that what he's after? Is this fan club? Oh, God, you are everything and we are nothing. And Is God angry? And does worship help calm him down? Right? Is this way? You know what? I think God's ticked at me. I better worship him. I better go sing him some songs, cool him down a little bit, remind him that he's awesome. Right? Is that what worship is all about and all those questions come back to the first question is god insecure is god insecure i asked that question the reason i asked it is a psychological phenomenon called projection right so if you're into this you get it right away i asked is god insecure because because the reason i need people to praise is because i'm insecure what i'm saying is god like me is this what, how, how it works? Because I need encouragement. I need affirmation. I need to be reminded I have abilities and that I'm needed and, and, and loved. Right? And, and so if I take all my insecurities and project them on God, that's why I would want worship is to feel better about myself. Is that what it is with, with God? And of course, of course, you already know, God's not insecure. Not a bit. There's nothing insecure about God. He doesn't need our encouragement. He doesn't need our affirmation. He doesn't need to be reminded of what he already knows, his abilities and that he's needed and that he's loved. 
He knows exactly who we are, what we've done, where we've been, our distance from him, our closeness to him. He's completely aware of it all. Right? He, he's not insecure a bit. So why does God need our worship? And the answer is, he doesn't. The answer is, bad question. But that's the question I was asking. Right? Why does God need our worship? The real question ought to be, why does God desire our worship? He doesn't need it. He desires it. Right? And that's what we're going to wrestle with a little bit. And part of our problem is the way we, we talk about worship, right? We, it's to show reverence and adoration for a deity. Well, it, it kind of implies this deity wants our adoration and our worship or needs it at some level to say something um, or to something that represents a deity. I want to give you what I think is a more Christian definition of worship. You can decide for yourself because I made it up. So if you don't like it, you know, it go somewhere else. No, I'm kidding. Stay here. Just <laughs> let's have an argument. It's good. Worship is a natural response to God after experiencing his love. Worship comes after God has touched your heart and you go, God loves me. And what you do next, assuming it's to embrace God, not to reject him, is worship. It's it, it's worship. It's, let me give it another way. Worship is how we say, I love you too, to God. Right? We've been touched by his love, and we turn and we go, oh, I love you too. I love you too. We love him because he first loved us. That's worship. Right? Now let me take you back to that first, second thing in your back pocket. You remember when you imagined yourself worshiping? We're just going to, can I get total lights in the room again? That would be helpful for me. We can look at each other. Hi. All right, so got that place in your mind? You got what you were doing? I want you to raise your hand if what you imagined involved music. Just raise your hand up. If it involved music, right? Right, we're looking around. A whole bunch of us. I would argue some of you were just like this, so I'm going to count those. Um, you just That's probably how you worship, too. You're like, you know, <laughs> lifting my hands to Jesus. Oh, praise you. <laughs> All right. So, so it involves music for almost everybody, actually, in, in, in this kind of environment, right? And, and I get that. And I'm, and I'm going to say, I'm going to affirm music. You're going to hear me affirm it in great, great ways. Music is so cool. It's like mysterious. It's almost magic to me. But let me just say something about worship and music. Worship can be expressed through music, but it is not music. Right? If worship was music, all music would be worship. It's not. It's, it's a vehicle for worship, but it is not worship, right? So when someone goes, hey, how was worship today? Typically we go, you know what? It was just a little bit loud for me, you know, or I didn't like that song. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not, if I were to know that answer, I would have said, hey, what'd you think of our music today? When I ask, well, how, how did worship go today? It's a, it's a heart question. It's a bigger question, right? Okay, so I don't want to get stuck because I got, did I tell you this is going to be a lot today? But button up. All right, so, the other thing that might come to your mind when you think about where you're worshiping is a, a place, right? So, so for some people, it's a church they think of, right? For some people, it's a worship concert they went to and the, the lights and the smoke and the music, it was just overwhelming. I just felt so worshipful. For some people, they remember their, their youth group or college days and they went on this retreat and they sang, sat around a fire and somebody, a couple people had a guitar and they sang and they worshiped together. And for some of us, it's, it was alone, we were just somewhere where, in creation, where 
seeing creation reminds us of the creator and it draws up this sense of, oh, God. And maybe there's no music involved at all or maybe we sang in a canoe by ourselves on a lonely lake. I don't know, right? We think of a place. How many of you go, I had a place? I had a place. Raise your hands. Okay, good. Good. There's nothing wrong with that, right? See, worship can be enhanced through a place or an atmosphere, but it does not require it. Right? So what have I talked about? Most of us think of a place and music, at least one of those two, if not, if not both. And what I want to tell you is it's true, but it's not worship. It's true, but it's not required. It's true, but it's way too small. Okay, so let me get to, to, get to some of this because I want to, I'm going to kind of prove it to you just a little bit from Scripture, right? So let's talk about place first and then we'll talk about music. So a place to worship is not a requirement to worship, right? Well, how do I know that? Well, it's because what happened in Acts 16. Paul's on his second missionary journey, and he goes to this city called Philippi. It's in the middle of Roman territory. They're all kind of Roman, and there's some Jews living there, and, but most part, it's just this Roman environment. They're worshiping multiple gods all over the place. It's, it's that culture. As he's walking around Philippi, he's being followed by a young woman who has the ability to tell the future, and she's owned by a businessman who's making a lot of money off of her ability, but she's following Paul around Philippi, and she's yelling out things about Paul. You know, and some of them are true. There's a missionary. Speak to him. God works through him. And she's just yelling all that stuff out. And, and for some reason, Paul's like greatly annoyed. Right? So after about the third day of it, he turns to her, and he goes, come here. And he prays for her, and the Bible says that he prayed for these demons who can tell the future to leave her. Right now, do what you want with the demon part, but but understand, after that moment, she can't tell the future anymore. And when her owner, the business guy, finds out, he is furious. Why? Because he just lost his meal ticket. He just lost his future, his money, because he, no one's going to pay for somebody who can't do that anymore. And Paul just destroyed that. Right? Actually, God through Paul did that. Right? And here's what happens next, because he starts yelling and screaming that this guy is is not Roman, and he's messing with our ways, and his message is da- damaging and a threat to Rome. And here's what it says, verse 22, Acts 16. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. Silas was his buddy, doing it together. And the city officials ordered them, stripped, got that naked, stripped, and beaten with wooden rods. Beaten with, they took rods of wood and hit these two guys as hard as they could because they were teaching the gospel. Because they were in the city obeying God, honoring God with their lives, and, and spreading this message. Right? They beat them bloody. They beat the tar out of these two guys. Why do I say that? Because of the next verse. They were severely beaten. Right? And then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, which is ironic to me or funny to me because it's like, well... So those two guys couldn't escape, but the other guys were okay. The jailer wasn't told not to let, that goes through my mind. But all it means is especially these two guys, don't let them escape. So what he did was, it says, the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. He put them into the high security prison, surrounded by the other cells, right? If you can imagine that, they're in the inner part, right? So if you're Paul or Silas, right, worst day ever, worst place to be you're bleeding you're moaning i put if i put myself there i'm going oh i'll be praying all right 
oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, make this go away. I'd just be moaning in pain. I mean, just I'm I'm tireless and I'm bleeding. Right? And and it's the worst place to be. It's dank and dark. And I'm in with a bunch of people who probably deserve to be there, but I don't deserve to be there. I'm obeying God. What happened here, God? And I've got a complaint, God. That'd be me. Listen to what happened. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. They get there and they think, cool, theater in the round. Right? They I mean, look, there's, there's an audience, a captive audience all around them, and they start to pray to God for strength and give thanks that they were worthy of being beaten for, for the honor of Christ. Right? And then they start singing. I don't think they sang well. I think they just sang with what they had, the energy they had. I mean, where, where do you get your breath when you've been beaten so badly? And they sang. And, and, and it proves to me it doesn't matter where. Place doesn't matter. We're going to talk more about this in a minute. But places can be awesome, and music can be awesome. i make this point twice. But they're not necessary. If, if Paul and Silas can do it in prison, where can't we do it? Where can't we? And I'm not talking about singing out loud, because for me that would be like, where can't you do it everywhere, Doug? Do not do that anywhere. That's what you would tell me. But to, to worship God is the point. Right? So, so I have some places, right? I can remember... This is an awesome place for me in my memory. By the way, here is an awesome place. I love what we do when we're singing together. There's something about gathering together and singing. That's why it's so fun. By the way, if you're sitting in the back, you are missing out. Because when you sit in the front, you get to hear everybody behind you singing. You should be fighting for these empty seats <laughs> right here, right? And, but don't beat the tower on anybody. Okay, so this is one of my favorite places. When I get in creation... It's a quiet draw to the Creator for me. It's one, of, it's one of the most worshipful places, and there's no building involved, and there's not even necessarily other people involved. It's just me and God. And my point is this. Worship is bigger. It's bigger than how we think of it. It's bigger than what we do. It's bigger than, than how we've compartmentalized it as we play church together. Right? We, we even talk about the service being divided. We have our worship, our three songs. I know that's what we mean, and then we have the message. Well, God forbid the message be worshipful, right? And God forbid the, the worship be messageful. I made that up. All right. <laughs> Places and music. So let's talk about the music part now, right? Because we think God likes to hear this stuff. And the point is, maybe that's up for debate, right? If we turn to Amos, minor prophet, lived in 760, 755 B.C. He used to be a shepherd, rural guy, not trained for public speaking, not trained to be a prophet, but he was the one God chose, one of the ones, to warn about the Assyrian exile that's coming. What part of his message, if you read through, it's not a large, long book, if you read through Amos, he starts off somewhere near the beginning saying, you Israelites, and they're not doing just things, they're not caring about the poor, they're cheating the poor, they're not caring about the foreigner, all these injustices. He goes, you are building your fancy homes. Right? It's a lot of construction going on. And he goes, and you're never going to live in them. What you're doing is futile. You're dreaming about the day you get to live in this beautiful home, and you're never going to live there. Why? Because you're going to be exiled. Because the Assyrians are coming, right? And that's going to take place. So that's his message. It's, it's about being righteous. And at the end, or near the end, Amos chapter 5, he takes on a first-person voice of God. So Amos is writing it as a prophet, and he's speaking on God's behalf. But So it sounds like, and it's supposed to be, God speaking to us through Amos. 
And it's first person singular, so it goes this way. This is God speaking to the Israelites. I hate all your show and pretense. I hate how you play church. I hate how you play church. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies, I hate those things. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. The things you bring, you think, oh, God, I'm going to appease you with my offerings and you'll be happy. He goes, I don't accept that. I hate that stuff. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings, the things that you think are the best offerings and the most sacrificial. I don't even care. I don't accept them. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. You can't sing your way out of this. Right? I will not listen to the music of your harps or guitars or drums or keyboards. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Instead, I want you to live like you belong to me. I want you to change the way you, you live. And then, and then the songs will start to sound good to me again. And then your offerings will mean something to me again. But, but the way you're living, the way you don't care about justice, I can't listen to your music. Places and music. Worship is bigger. We keep reducing it to those things, but worship is much, much bigger. And Paul caught this. He explains it to us. He teaches it to us in Romans chapter 12. He says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. By the way, when it says your bodies, it's not just talking about your physical body. He's saying it means your life. You can't separate your life from your body, right? So you give your body, you give your life. You, you view your life as being lived out. It no longer belongs to you, but it belongs to God. My life belongs to God. My body belongs to him. That's what Paul says to do. Let them, our bodies, our lives, be a living and holy sacrifice. This is not the sacrifice of lambs. We're not supposed to kill ourselves. We're supposed to just give him our lives as living sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. And then he says this, this is truly the way to worship him. Now what's missing? There's no place and there's no music. The way to worship him is by giving him our lives. By saying, this no longer belongs to me. Nothing's wrong with music. Nothing's wrong with a place. But without the life, it doesn't matter. This is the way to worship him. And don't copy the behavior of the customs of this world. They're not worshiping. They're not sacrificing. They're living whatever they want to do. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And you'll, your worship will change. Your life will change. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Worship. It's bigger. It's bigger. I don't want to settle for worship songs. I don't want to settle for a place to go to. I want a worship life. I want a, a life that, that is worship from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed and I allow God to even invade my sleep. That'd be awesome. Right? Worship is not a song we sing or a place we meet. It's a life that we live completely different than the way I used to think about it. <laughs> what is God calling us to? It's a life. It's a life with him. Honor me with your life, not just with your songs. And speaking to the place, everywhere is a holy place. Everywhere. Why? Because your body's the temple of God. God's within you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Everywhere you go, God is there. Everywhere is holy. Right? Now, contrast that to this. I'm going to give you a little bit of history here. Contrast that to this. Religions tend to focus on holy places. 
right? So, so what are holy places? Temples, churches, mosques. Those are probably the big ones that, that we think of. So if you were Jewish and I asked you, where is the most holy place on the planet, what would you tell me? Louder. you got to go loud. Synagogue. Synagogue could be a place. The temple. Right. So right now, though, it wouldn't be the temple. It would be the place where they think the temple was, which is called the Temple Mount. Right? So, you, so last night, someone about Jerusalem. I go, you're almost there. Just go a little deeper into Jerusalem. And they get to the Temple Mount. So if I can just show you here. So this is the Western Wall. Sometimes people here will call it the Wailing Wall. This is where they put their notes and do their prayers. These are Jewish people going up because that's as close to where they think the temple was, this Temple Mount area here, that they can go. The, the chief rabbi has said, you may not go up on the Temple Mount. Why not? Well, first of all, it's controlled by Muslims, so that's just a little inconvenient. Secondly, um, we don't know exactly where the temple was up there, and you might step in that holy place that you're not allowed to go to unless you're the chief of priests. Unless you've got the credentials, and you don't have the credentials, so you can't go up there because you might um, bring unclean things into a very holy place, right? So we don't want you doing that. So that's why this is as close as Jewish people are supposed to get. There are some people who go, I'm going up there, and they, and they do it, but they always take off their shoes because they're just a little nervous about it, right? So, so that's the holy place. Now, the temple was supposed to be up in this area, and like I said, it's controlled right now by Muslims. And we'll talk about why that is in a moment. So this is the most holy place. It's the first holy place for, for Jewish people. And it's the third most holy place for Muslims, right? And you'll notice something. Do you, you notice Christians aren't involved in this? It's just the Jews and the Muslim who are having this kind of discussion and argument, right? So that's the environment. So let me just tell you why, so you understand, to the Jewish people first, why is this place so holy? And it's, a, it's holy to Jews because it is, they think, it's the place where Abraham prepared to sacrifice Isaac. Hopefully you remember that story, and God provided a different sacrifice instead. That's the place on the rock. See the Dome of the Rock, that gold part? They think that the rock is the place where that, took, that happened, right? They also think it's the place where David bought the threshing floor. You remember he, he, the guy says, you can have it, and he goes, no, I wouldn't. That's not a sacrifice. I'm going to pay you for it. He pays him for it. He builds an altar there, and he prepares that site to become the, the temple where Solomon would build. David wasn't allowed to build there, but David is going to get all the preps done. He's going to make this turnkey ready for David. So he starts saving all kinds of money to create this temple treasury. He starts recruiting builders, architects, and it's going to be built right, and he gets them all set up so that when he's gone and Solomon's there, he can do it. And the third thing he does, and this is just phenomenal, he goes and gets the very best musicians, and it was kind of a family line with it, um, Asaph, you can look it up, his children, his family, because have you ever noticed that musical people tend to breed more musical people? I don't know why. It's I'm not fair to us. And, um, and he gets that family line, and he goes to the musicians. He goes, you guys are done working. You are now full-time musicians. You're getting ready to lead worship at the temple. You're going to be worship leaders. At the t- and it was the very, very best. And he said, I want you to full-time devote yourself to that, so you're going to be paid through the temple offerings. You know, we're not going to do that here, sorry. But that's, it's nice that they could do it, right? So that's what they did. So this is the place where David bought the threshing hold. He's preparing it. And then Solomon comes, and he builds the first temple there, just like he was told to. So it's the site of the first temple. And then later on, Herod rebuilt the temple bigger. Why did he make it bigger? Because he's Herod, and he could, is the answer. He want, everything Herod did was bigger and better in, in his mind. Can you see why this place is so sacred and so holy? 
Okay, for the Muslims. Muslims believe that this is the place where Muhammad was transported to heaven. That he was on that rock and he got transported to heaven and returned to earth to continue his teaching. So it's not Mecca, but it's a very, very significant place to Muslims, which is why they're heavily invested. And they are running the inside and the Jewish people are running the outside of this Temple Mount. By the way, if you push me, we're not going to talk about this today because it's kind of a goose chase. I'm starting to lean into the idea that the temple wasn't even on the mount, that it was about 1,000 yards away and, and, or less. And if you want to know more about that, I can try to tell you why, but I think it was in the city of David, which is really close by, and um, there's some archaeological really cool stuff coming out. And we can chat about it later, but it's, it's very, very significant to Jewish people because they want to rebuild the temple, and they can't do it on the mount. It would require this war, which is what everybody's afraid of. Right? The Muslims and the Jews going to, going to war. So here's the question. Why aren't Christians concerned about that place? Why, why aren't we all fired up about it? Right? And, and yes, we, we go there and we go, oh, this is cool. This is where all that took place. But why aren't we emotionally invested in, in this place? And I mean, the answer is it's so cool. The answer is because of what Jesus taught. He taught at a few places, but one of the places that comes out very, very clear is John chapter 4. Remember John chapter 4? Jesus is by a well in Samaria, and the Samaritan woman comes up, and Jesus tells her all these things that he has no business knowing, and she comes away with going, who is this guy that I'm, that I'm with, right? And you can go read all that for yourself. But at a certain point, when she's starting to get a little concerned about who she's with, she turns and says, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it, she goes to spiritual stuff, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem, the temple, is the only place of worship? It's the place of worship. Why is it the only place? And, and while we Samaritans claim the only place of worship is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped. And by the way, we went to Mount Gerizim. They're still worshiping today, the, the Samaritans are. Right there. All right, so Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father. Isn't it interesting he didn't separate her out of that? The Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. What's he saying? Place doesn't matter. Place isn't going to matter a bit. We're, this is religion you're talking about. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And place won't matter. Not a bit. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. The Father is looking for people who don't need to be in a place to worship, but can worship him everywhere, in spirit and in truth. True worship is never about the place. Right? So remember those Christians that we don't have an investment? 70 A.D., the Romans, what did they do? They wiped out Jerusalem, burned it down. They destroyed the temple. It's why we don't have a temple anymore. It's gone. Jesus said it would happen. He told the disciples, there won't be one stone on top of another. Right? And so it's gone. Jesus knew that was coming, and he had warned them, hey, place doesn't matter to the Christians, right, to the, his followers. Place doesn't matter. This day is coming, and when it comes, flee. So when the Romans did that, up to this point, the Jews and the, and the Christians, they were all Christian Jews, were worshiping together. When the Romans came, the Christians go, oh, this is when Jesus told us to flee. And so they run away. And the Jews defend the sacred place. And what happens to them? They get killed. Massive amounts of Jews. The first genocide of this kind of nature, right? Massive amounts of Jews. Remember the story of Masada about three, four years later? It took them that long to get rid of, and they it killed all of them. They exterminated. I know they may have committed suicide. We're not positive about that, but they, they're all dead. That we know. 
right? And so, so that's 70 AD. The Christians survive, and that's the point in history when Judaism and Christianity went different directions, right? Because, so how, when did it stop being Jewish? That was when it happened. Because guess how the, Jews, the remaining Jews felt about Christians? Traitors. You weren't there. You ran away. Yeah, because Jesus told us to flee. So we did. And we're still here. We're, God protected us. All of that to say this, the place doesn't matter because worship is bigger. It's bigger. And if we get locked into music and place, we're missing spirit and truth. So let me take you back to those sacrilegious questions that I asked them towards the beginning. Is God insecure? Does God need us to feed his ego? I almost feel bad saying these things out loud. Does God create, did God create us to have his own fan club? Right? And of course, we've said this. The answer to all those questions is resounding, no, no, no. None of that is true. That's why it rubs us the wrong way. It's not true. But if we only have religion, it's going to feel true. If we only have religion, if we only go to church to check it off, we're going to go, well, I came and I did my thing for God. Now he must be happy with me. Now I'm earning my brownie points. That God, I calmed him down today from his anger because I worshiped him today and he's not mad at me anymore. If you didn't go to church, he might be mad at you. Maybe you should start going to church. It becomes a, it becomes a rabbit's foot. It becomes, it becomes religious behavior. And God goes, don't you know worship is bigger? I can't even hear you sing. I don't care about those things. Was, I mean, it's nice, the plays, the music, but It's bigger. It's much bigger. Religions seek to appease the gods, always, through religious behavior. And it doesn't matter which god you're talking about. When I went to church as a kid, I was checking it off the list. When I sang songs, I was checking it off the list. No wonder it was empty. No wonder it made me cynical. No wonder I had to wrestle my way through nasty questions to come to a place to go, oh, it's, it's, it's bigger. It's huge. See, God did not create us to be his fan club. He created us to be his family. That's why when the disciples asked Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray, the first thing Jesus says, call him Abba, call him Daddy, call him Dad, call him Father. He's not creating a fan club. He's creating a family. And his invitation to worship is come, be part of the family. You're my kids. I didn't create you to be minions. I created you to be sons and daughters. And of course we're respectful. Of course we're, we praise him and worship him. He's our dad. Of course we tell him, we love you too. Those of you who are parents in the room, this is going to help you a little bit. And you tuck your kid in and your little son or daughter looks up and says, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Mom. Right? They say that. And you go, well, of course you do. I'm your dad. Click. Off the light. (laughs) Well, you should. I gave you a home to live in and food to eat. Click. Of course you do. I'm awesome. Click. That's not what you do. Your kid says it, and you go, I love you, too. I love you, too. Now, there's no new information. Because your child has done that for 39 nights in a row. And on the 40th night, I love you, Mommy. I love you, Daddy. You turn and you go, you know what? This is getting a little old. (laughs) Kind of redundant. You'll never get sick of having your child 
express their love for you. You'll never get sick of that. That's why Father's Day is so important. (laughs) One time a year we get to hear it. For the rest of their lives, they're obligated. Thank you, Hallmark, right? So, and Mother's Day, of course, right? So, but this is, this is how it works, and, 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 we, and we savor it. That describes what worship is supposed to be. I love you too, God. I mean, God's gone on record. He died for us. He loves us. And when we get touched by that, what's the natural thing to do? It's not to go, well, of course you do. I'm awesome. I'm your kid. No, it's to say, oh, God, I love you too. When someone gives you a gift, it's, what's the normal thing to do? A thank you. It's not to go, about time, I'm finally, I deserve this. It's a natural response. Now, we've got all kinds of unnatural things that are stopping us from doing it, but worship at its best is a natural response to, oh, my goodness, God, you love me like that. So how do we live lives of worship? Right? It's to do what I've said. We live, I love you, two lives. We don't sing. We don't go to a place. Just, that's not it. That's, I mean, we can do those things, but that's not it. It's about our whole lives. He says, this is what Paul is saying, live, and I love you, too, God life. That's what it means to be a follower, Christian, family of God, all of that together. Okay, so that's the whole worship message, but i got to give you that really, really nasty part at the end that I promised the hardest to do I think I've ever given. It's this. I want to, I'm going to give you a question that I want you to ask yourself. And I wish I could say, just do it this week. Start with this week. But I want you to do this the rest of your life. And it will mess with your life. So here's the question. Does this honor God? Does this honor my Father? Right? When I say God, that's what I'm talking about. Does this honor Him? Right? Well, what is this? This is everything. This is every aspect of life. But let me get more specific and just raise a whole bunch of questions in a very quick way. Does how I work and serve honor God? Who I am at work, does it honor God? How I serve anywhere I serve, does it honor God? Does my play and my entertainment honor God? Right? Because if I'm doing things without regard for God and then I go sing to him, I'm afraid I'm not going to hear my songs. I'm afraid I'm going to lose being a worshiper, right? Does the way I raise my children, interact with my children, tuck them in at night, read them stories, care for them, discipline them, all the, provide for them, does it honor God? Is it, am I doing it in a way that goes, man, that's exactly how God would want me to do it? Does it is it honoring Him? Does how I pray honor God? And, and you have to figure that out. We'll talk more about that, I'm pretty sure. Does how I drive honor God? How about after the guy cuts you off in traffic? Does that honor God that next moment? Does the universal sign of displeasure honor God? Yeah, because it points up to him. I understand. (laughs) Does my calendar honor God? Now we're messing with you. Does my calendar honor God? Does how I treat my coworkers, my boss, my spouse, my kids, my neighbor honor God? Does the way I pay my taxes and how I talk about my taxes as I'm paying them, honor God. Does the way I date, single people, I'm going to mess with you. Does the way I date, the way I handle my sexual activities in my dating, does it, is it the way a child of God honors their dad? 
Does the way I treat people I have power over honor God? And yes, hashtag me too, hashtag church too, hashtag pastors too, priests too, religious people too, Sunday school teachers too, does, workers too, does it all honor God? Does it stand that test? Does how I drink and eat and exercise honor God? Apparently this body is my temple of God and I've been giving God a little bit more room lately, you know? <laughs> so I got some things to work on, right? Does the way I love all others honor the God who created them and died for them. I'm going to the race card and the gender card and all the cards you want to play there. Right? Does how I spend, save, and give honor God? You, just your life, not all in one day, by the way, just take one piece at a time, but always have that in the back of your mind. Am I doing this in a way that honors God? Or am I, am I playing church because I just lived my life without worrying about honoring him and then I want to go sing him a few songs in case he's angry at a place I go to called church? If you do this, I promise you this, there's going to be times when your answer to those questions will be, no, I know this isn't God honoring. And you might even say, and I'm not ready yet to change it. But at least you're honest. At least you're saying to God, you know what, God, I know it doesn't honor you, but I want what I want and I'm going to do it my way. As you walk with God, I think that's going to start to become an issue for you. And then you'll start to think about it differently. And then you'll start to change your behavior. And you'll worship God through obedience, which is a big part of worship. right? And you'll become more and more the child of God that you were meant to be, the person you were made to be. One more thing. Remember my maggot moment? I promised you I'd bring this back up to your attention. Remember I was sitting, standing there with all these maggots around my feet and little taste of vomit in my mouth as I'm sit, standing there, and I'm mad about it, and I'm grousing about it, and the guy I'm with is just a couple years older than me. He's a fellow student at school. And he looks at me, and he goes, um, Doug, I go, I thought we were doing this for Jesus. And I just felt this, ah. Oh. And so I killed him. What are you going to do? Somebody brings Jesus up in that moment? I'm sorry. No, I didn't. I didn't. I knew it was the voice of God through him. So I just, and he goes, so let me ask you another question. I'm going, what? Who do you think should be standing in maggots instead of you right now? Right? You're too good for this? And he didn't say all that. I mean, he said it, but I just go, I never forgot it. Right? And he was doing the same thing I was doing. I noticed his bag didn't break, right? But, <laughs> but he was doing it as worship. And I was doing some stinking job that nobody else would do and I got stuck with. It's not like I got the tar beat out of me. It's not like I was in prison. And I tell you that story because I know that some of you right now are standing figuratively with maggots up to your knees and you're hearing this message you go I don't know if I can worship that God and I want to say probably not not without his help not without a little change not without surrendering not without understanding that God's not looking for fans he's looking for family 
So we're going to close the service by singing a song together. It's, a, it's, it's not a song, it's a prayer. And we're going to invite you to pray it with us by singing. I'm going to have all of you stand up, so go ahead and stand up right now. But I don't want all of you to sing. Uh, and this is not a talent thing. I want you to sing if you're praying. And if you can't pray it, then it's okay not to sing. Just stand. We just don't want to have you sitting down and point you out that you're not singing. Okay, so, so we're all standing, and some of us are praying through the song, and then I'll come up and close with a prayer. Let's, let's sing and pray. Last night, somebody um, talked to me and said, You know, Doug, I think you're missing something. Worship feels so good. It's for us too. And of course it is. Of course it is, because it's a family meeting with God. And when there's something incredible about gathering together and being with a group of people, all upward focused for a little bit, worshiping God, and it, it's, it, it is the family meeting. that, And we're reminded, aren't we? Because sometimes we get away and we, brothers and sisters, let's not forget who God is. Let's live our lives in light of who he is. That's part of, part of worship. And then just that sense of, of being together. And then the music. Remember I said music is almost magic? Let me tell you why. It's because artists have the ability to, through music and through words, to help us feel and express things that we're feeling that we can't do without them. And it's, it's an awesome, magical, mystical thing, which is why we're not anti-music. And we're, you know, hey, I love the music here. And I love this place. But I'm really glad God's a lot bigger than it. Than it. Let's pray. God, maybe 1% of my worship is actually in a room like this with music behind me. And the other 99% that I tend to just walk through without maybe all the thoughts you want me to have. Um, I need to surrender that to you. I want you to hear my worship. I want you to hear my songs and my prayers. I want nothing to do with religion. I want everything to do with your family. And God, if there's someone here today who's just, they go, man, I'm just doing religion. I don't, I don't know this Father in heaven. God, would you draw them close and show them the, the emptiness of playing church or playing synagogue or playing mosque and bring them to the one true God who says I love you and God we love you too in Christ's name, amen alright, have a great week